Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson Part 1 The Old Buccaneer Chapter 4 The Sea Chest I lost no time, of course, in telling my mother all that I knew and perhaps should have told her long before we saw ourselves at once in difficult and dangerous position. Summon the men's money. Man's money, if he had any, was duly, certainly due to us, but it was not likely that our captain's shipmates, above all the two specimens, seen by me, black dog and black beggar, would be inclined to give up their booty in payment for the dead man's debts. Captain's order to mount at once and arrive for Dr. Lindsay would have left my mother alone and protected, which was not to be thought of. Indeed, it seemed impossible for either of us to remain much longer in the house, full of coals in the kitchen grate, a very ticking the clock filled with us with alarms. Neighbored to our ears, seemed haunted by approaching footsteps, up between the dead body of the captain and parlour floor, the thought of detestable, detestable blind beggar hovering near a hand ready to return, at moments when, as saying goes, I jumped in my skin for terror. Sometimes something must speedily be resolved upon. Cur into us at last, go forth together, seek help in the neighbouring hamlet. As soon as said than done, bareheaded headed as we were, he ran out at once in the gathering that evening and that foggy, frosty fog. The hamlet lay not many hundred yards away. Oh, out of view on the other side of next cove, what greatly encouraged me. It was in an opposite direction from whence the blind man had what made his appearance, whether he'd presumably returned. But not many minutes on the road, though we had sometimes stopped to lay hold of each other and hearkened. But there was no unusual sound, nothing, a low wash of the ripple and croaking of the inmates of the wood. It was already candlelit when we reached the hamlet. I never forgot how much I was cheered to see the yellow shine the doors and windows. But that is, is it all proved was the best of help you are likely to get in their quarter. For you would have thought men would have been ashamed of themselves. No soul could sent to return with us to Admiral Benbow. The more we told of your troubles, the more men, women, children, the clansers sheltered their homes. Houses. The name of Captain Flint, though it's strange to me, was well known to some there and carried a great weight of terror. Some of the men who have been to field work on the far side of Admiral Burbin, Burbin, Benbow, it's remembered besides to have seen several strangers on the road asking him to be taking them into his smugglers to have been bolted to have bolted away. While at least has seen a little longer what was called Kit's Hole. For that matter, anyone who was a comrade of Captain's was enough to frighten him to death. The short and long of the matter was, while we could get several willing enough to ride to Dr. Lindsay's, which lay in another direction, not one would help us defend the inn. They say Curtis is fetches, but then our argument is, on the other hand, a great embolderer. So, when each has said this, say, have made them a speech. She would not, she declared, lose money. It belonged to her fatherless boy. 
If none of the rest of you dare, she said, Jim and I who dare, back we'll go, and way we come, and all thanks to you, big hulking, chicken-hearted men. We have that chest open, and we die for it. I thank you for the bunny, Mr. Cosley, to bring back your lawful money. I thank you for the bag, Mr. Cosley, bring back your lawful money in. Of course, I would have go, go with my mother, of course. Well, they all cried out at their forlornness, but even then not a man would go alone with us. All he would do was to give me a loaded rifle, lest we were tacked, to promise to have the horses ready saddled in case sued on our return. Well, one lad was to ride forward to the doctors in search of armour assistance. My heart was beating finely when we two set forth in a cold night upon this dangerous venture. Full moon was beginning to rise and peered redly from the upper high edges of the fog. This increased our haste, for it was plain, for we came forth again. We all would be as a bright as day, to much exposed to the eyes of any watchers. Slipped along the hedges noiseless, noiseless and swift, nor did we see or hear anything increase our terrors, till on our relief the door of Avril Bobin. Bow. Had closed behind us. I slipped the bolt at once. We stood and panted for a moment in the dark, low in the house, the dead captain's body. And my mum got a candle bar, holding each other's hands. We advanced into parlour. He lay as we had left him, lay back with his eyes open, one arm stretched out. Draw down the blind, Jim, I whispered my mother. It might come and watch outside. And now said, when I have done so, we have to get the key off that. And who's to touch it? We should like to know. He gave a kind of sob as he said the words. Went down on knees at once on the floor, closed his hand, the little round, round of paper blackened to one side. I could not doubt that this was the black sock. And taking it up, found written on the other side, very good, clear hand, the short message, you have till ten, ten tonight. It is all till ten, mother, said I, just as I said it. At a clock struck, began striking. This sudden noise startled us shockingly. The news was good. Only six. Now, Jim, she said, that key. Felt his pockets one after another. Few small coins, a timble, thimble, some shred, big needles, a piece of a big pigtail tobacco bitten away by his end. His gully and a crooked handle. A pocket compass, a tinder box, all they contained began to despair. Press it round his neck, suggested my mother. Overcoming strong repugnance, a tore of his shirt at the neck, near shone off hanging by a bit of tawny string which I cut with his own gully. He found the key. On its triumph, on its triumph, we filled with hope, hurried upstairs without delay to open the room where he had let step so long that his box had stood since the day of his arrival. And it's like any other seaman's chest on the outside, and it shall be burned top of it, hot iron. The torn is somewhat smashed and broken, a long, rough usage. Give me the key, said my mother. And though the key was very stiff, but was very stiff, she had turned it and thrown back the lid into a twinkling. Strong smell of tobacco and tar rose from the interior. Nothing was to be seen on the top, so a suit of very good clothes, carefully brushed and folded. They have been warm, my mother said. 
Under that Mahusani began a quarter of a tin catechin, several sticks of tobacco, two brace of very handsome pistols, a pair of silver, an old Spanish watch, and some trinkets little value, mostly foreign make. A pair of compasses mounted with brass, and five of curious, curious West Indian shells. I've been wondering since why he should have carried any shells with him, his wandering guilty and hunted life. In meanwhile, he had found nothing of any value but silver and the trinkets, neither us were in a way underneath. It was an old boot, boat cloak, whitened with sea salt, and many as harbour bar. I had put it up with impatience. There lay before us the other thing in the chest, a bundle tied up in an oilcloth, laying like papers and cards of spag. Gave forth a touch of jingle gold. I saw those rogues. I am an honest woman, said my brother. I have my due. I have my duties, and not a farthing over. Hold Mr. Crawford's bag. She began to count over the map to the captured score, the soldier's bag, and to the one that I was holding. It's long, difficult business for the coins from all countries the size of the blooms, the doors of guineas, pieces of eight. I don't know what besides, all shaken together at random. Guineas too were about the series. If it was only that my mother knew how to make her count. When we were about halfway through, a sunny put my hand upon her arm, for I have heard a silent frosty air sound and brought my heart into my mouth. The tap, tapping of the blind man's stick on a frozen road. It drew nearer and nearer, while we sat holding our breath. It stuck sharp on the indoor, and we heard a handle being turned, the bolt rattling, the wrench being tied to enter. Then these, there was a long time of silence, both within, about a last as taping recommenced, while indescribable joy and gratitude died softly away again, till I ceased to be heard. Mothers, I said, take hold and let be going. I was sure the body door must have seemed suspicious of bringing the whole hornet's nest upon our ears. Though how thankful I was, I bolted it. None could tell who had never met that terrible blind man. My mother, frightened as she was, would not consent to take a fraction more. It was due to her, and was seemingly unwilling to be content with less. It's not yet seven, she said, by a long way. She knew her rights, and she would have them. She was still arguing me but a little, but her whistle sounded a good way off upon the hill. There was enough, more enough for both of us. I take what I have, she said, jumping to her feet. I take this to square the count, said I, picking up the oilskin packet. <coughs> Next moment we were both groping downstairs, leaving a candle by the empty chest. Next we had opened the door, we were in full retreat. We had not started a moment too soon. Fog was rapidly dispersing. Already the moon shone quite clear on the high ground. Either side it was hard. And it's at bottom of the well. Around the tavern door, the thin veil still hung. A broker to steal the final steps of escape. Far less than the halfway, halfway to the hamlet. Very little beyond the bottom of the hill. The cane mouse come forth into the moonlight. Nor was this. All the sound of several footsteps running came already to our ears. We looked back in the direction. 
light tossing to and fro, still rapidly advancing, shone one of the newcomers carried a lantern. My dear, said my mother slowly, take that money, I run, I am going to faint. Neighbors are certainly, and in for us both, I thought, how I cursed the careless of neighbors, how I blamed my poor mother for her honesty, her greed for her past fullness and present weakness. We were just at the little bridge by good fortune. I helped her, tottering as she was, to the edge of the bank. When sure enough, she gave a sigh and fell on my shoulder. Didn't know not how I found shape to do it at all. I'm afraid I was roughly done. Made to drag her down the bank, led away under the arch. I was too low to let me go. Further, I could not move her. The bridge was too low for me to know more. I called below it. So there we had to stay. My brother almost... Twenty years both of the severe earshot of the inn.